Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock Him Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie, and this is Before the Box Score. It's July 27th. It is a Wednesday. Monday is August 1st, which means Monday, your Missouri football Tigers are starting their fall camp. 2022 season is right around the corner. We can see it. It's right over there. Uh, counting down on the first game on Thursday, September 1st. We're inching ever closer. We're getting to more, more, more football content uh, and we're getting into more and more and more football podcasts. So get ready. Uh, BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. It's wonderful to be back with you. Uh, I was on the COVID IL for a week. I am back in business. Uh, I'm feeling close to, if not at 100%. And I'm ready for this Mizzou football season, man. I, I was talking about this on the radio. We had Hannah Yates, who works at KSDK out here in St. Louis. She was filling in on the show, and she's a Mizzou grad. Uh, she is a Mizzou fan. And we were talking about the expectations going into this season. And Nate, you will be surprised to hear I was the low man in our conversations in terms of my optimism. I said I think seven and five feels very realistic given what the schedule looks like this year. She said eight or more, eight or more wins is where she's at with this Mizzou football team. So God bless her. I respect her optimism. I, however, have been a Mizzou fan my entire life, and therefore I know not to have that kind of optimism because the only good. thing that can possibly happen is bad. Good, good. Let the pessimism <laughs> run through you. Uh, I am slowly pulling you to my waist. No, 7-5 is a very, very smart take. Yeah, you know, what, eight wins? Okay, so you get you get one extra bonus somewhere. Someone screws up. Yeah, well, I'll take it. Seven I feel or pretty eight optimistic with seven. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you, I do too. Um... But that's good. I mean, hey, 
it's always fun, you know, when the college football season starts, you can't be wrong because nothing's happened, right? So shoot for the moon, say eight. Why not 10? Why not 11? Why not Natty this year? Uh, yeah, oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to park my expectations at seven and five, just like you, and, and see where they take me. So, um, but as far as things that are actually exciting, things that we can we can look at and point to and say, yay, this is a great thing. We had a pretty good news week, uh, a couple of weeks for Mizzou. Let's kick it off with the with the biggest impact, uh, certainly for the future. But remember Josh Manning, that guy who said he was going to commit on July third, wide receiver out of Lee Summit, and and then you know surprise surprise he decided not to say so he was going to delay his commitment. Well, he delayed it all the way, all the way to July 21st. And lo and behold, he picked your Tigers. He is a four-star wide receiver out of Lee Summit High School in Lee Summit, Missouri. He is the 49th best receiver in the country, the 12th best product in the state, standing at 6'2", 195. He is a four-star, and he is committed to the Tigers. BK, you and I looked at his film. You put a post up on it. I'm just going to let you enjoy uh, what you saw and tell the people all the all the great things that you were able to witness. Guys, I'm pretty honest with you about what I see on film. And a full disclaimer, these are all highlights. Like when you watch somebody's huddle, it is exclusively what they want you to see. But some people have better highlights than others. And so when I watch Joshua Manning, I'm going to be honest with you, Nate. I didn't really know what to expect because when you see a guy who's ranked around like the 50th best receiver in the country, not like a top 100 type of a prospect, but considered to be a good, not great player, right? Four star, but a low four star. I'm like, okay, I'll probably like this guy, but I would imagine probably not super high upside. Man, I was blown away. Um, I don't want to make more of this than what he is. He is not Luther Burden, and that needs to be said on the front end. However... Joshua Manning can do everything like anything you ask him to be. He can do that. Um, So like when you watch the NFL, for example, Nate, one guy that comes to mind that kind of fits into this category is Devontae Adams. And so for Mm. our audience, when you're thinking about this, like the things that Manning does, and this is as a high schooler, I don't know if he's going to be Devontae Adams. The overwhelming odds are he's not because Devontae Adams is a Hall of Fame player, but The thing that makes Adam special is he can play out of the slot. He can play outside. He can go deep. He can go across the middle. He can do a quick bubble screen and get you yards Mm -hmm. after catch. He can do everything you want a wide receiver to do. And as an offense, that opens up a lot for you schematically. Because instead of having to scheme stuff to one player, like, for example, a Mookie Cooper last year, right? Mookie last year was used almost exclusively at or behind the line of scrimmage because the stuff Mm -hmm. that went further didn't go particularly well most of the time. That might not be the case this year, but that was the case last year. Manning should, in theory, be able to come in and immediately win wherever they need him to. So if they have a need in the slot, he could probably come in and do that. I don't think they have that need, but where they do have a need right now is at the X wide receiver position where he's Mm -hmm. going to be on the line of scrimmage. He's going to be facing more press coverage than any other wide receiver in the offense does. And he can win with backside posts or the drags coming across the play. Like those are the places where Joshua Manning really stands out to me. And he also, and I know that you want to get into this as well, Nate, 
he is so good with his hands, man. It seems like on every play, he's doing things the way that they're supposed to be done. So he's stemming mm-hmm. his route at the correct yardage. He's going up and getting the ball at the highest point whenever he's going up on a contested catch situation. Like he just everything looks the way it's supposed to. And that is so unbelievably rare for high school wide receiver prospects. So I didn't know what to expect going into watching him. Man, I'm really excited about Joshua Manning. This is a massive get for Mizzou. And him being the 12th ranked prospect in the state, that does not do him justice for how good he is. In most years, he would be a top three to five guy in the state of Missouri. It was incredible, man. I watched his tape. I watched all six minutes and 38 seconds of it. And the thing that stood out to me was how, how frequently he caught it with his hands, which I know sounds really stupid when you say it out loud for a guy who catches the ball in, you know, in college football, but it's true. You get a lot of receivers. Uh, you can think of a couple that actually don the Missouri uniform. Uh, LaDamian Washington comes to mind. Jamon Moore comes to mind where when they would get tired or when they'd get stressed or, you know, they would resort to catching the ball with their body. So letting the ball hit them in the chest, they pull their hands up and pin it to their chest. And that's the catch. That's not how you want to do it, right? Any coach worth their salt is going to tell you, put your hands together, create a diamond with your, with your thumb and forefinger, put that diamond right over the nose of the ball, then wrap your hands around it. And like he would present that target. If you watch his film, you can see it. He presents that target. He catches that ball and it's it's automatic. It's always with his hands, whether it's up high pointing the ball, whether it's a flip from the from the bubble screen or whether it's a quick out that he's catching on the sideline. It is hands, 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 hands. Now, again, like you said, this is the highlight reel. This is when he did things well, but it was every catch. And it was on the routine stuff. It was on the stuff where he was beating a guy. It was on the stuff where he was reaching out for the sideline. Like he was so consistent with his hands. It was incredibly impressive. And when you catch with your body, that's when you get those drops, right? Bounce is weird. You don't get the you don't get your hands up in time. Gets off a shoulder pad, something like that. Hands are where all the control is, and he had it nailed. He also, you know, just like he said, he did everything. <laughs> he did everything as a receiver. Um, I was incredibly impressed as well. And I didn't know what to think. You know, a lot of times when you watch someone who was really good in high school, you can kind of get bored because <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, here he is running another touchdown. But it was the way that he was beating his defender every single time. And he would make guys miss. He would run through tackles. He would run through the groups. Like, again, this is the high school level. But it's is a lot of talent. There's a lot of things you can see. And if you're thinking about the X receiver position, you know, BK, that's where you're thinking he might he might be an immediate impact. Currently on the roster, that's going to be your Toski Dove and your Dominic Lovett, who are who last year at least were splitting reps at X. So think of those types of routes. I do think he would be excellent in that role, especially with Luther on the Z. And then uh, Barrett, well, not Barrett, Bannister next year, but uh, Mookie Cooper in the slot, something like that. Like you can see a very effective use uh, of, uh, of of Manning. And that's before we even talk about, you know, Mikai Miller, uh, Jamarian Wayne, or you know, even Chance Looper. Like this receiving group is getting so much better, so much faster than every other position group on this team. It is kind of it is the driver of excitement for Missouri, certainly on the offense, but as a team as a whole. I can't say enough good things about him, man. And again, I don't want to overhype a guy because then sometimes like the expectations can get way out of whack. And sure. as a result, people get like 
underwhelmed by them just being merely a good college football player. Luther Burden. <laughs> yeah, that that's one of my concerns about Burden. It's like he's going to be really, really good. And people are going to be like, yeah, this guy isn't like Amari Cooper. So uh, this is <laughs> underwhelming for me. Um, I, I think this guy has the potential to be a really solid number two college wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's what Manning is. And if he becomes that, that is a massive recruiting win because so few guys have the potential to become that. So um, I'm really impressed. It was a huge win, not only just because of what he means for the wide receiver room and the lack of players in this vein that they have currently on the roster, but also because I mean, we talked about this on the most recent podcast, Nate. Like, It's not that I was necessarily pessimistic about the in-state recruiting, but I... I was at least a little concerned, um, Mm -hmm. cautiously concerned, I guess I could say. (laughs) This makes me feel a little better about it because, I I mean, Joshua Manning was planning to, based on all reports, commit to K-State. And then something changed, and now he's a commitment to Missouri. And all of that happened within a two- to three-week stretch. Mm -hmm. So credit to the coaching staff. I don't know what they did. I don't know what they were able to put together. Frankly, I don't care what they did. It worked. And that's recruiting. They deserve a ton of credit for it. And now Joshua Manning, as long as he holds on to this commitment, uh, will be a Missouri Tiger. That's massive. It is. Drinkwood said himself, recruiting's done in December. (laughs) Like It's a long way to go Mm -hmm. for for both good and bad. But think about about how Drinkwood is constructing this team. You know, a lot of transfers on the defense, a lot of young upside talent on the offense. Next year, assuming you write the ink dries on the paper, you're looking at four-star tight end, Brett Norfleet, four-star quarterback, Jabari Johnson, four-star wide receiver, Josh Manning. Throw in, you know, Marquise Johnson, the speedster receiver, Jamal Roberts, the speedy running back, uh, Nick Deloach. You know, add it to all the other very talented offensive skill position guys he's acquiring, like, yeah, we, we've talked about 23 being kind of the, or yeah, 23 being the breakout season. Um, assuming the players, the coaching staff, everybody sticks around, you can really see this this roster, this team being very talented uh, and very high expectations heading into 2023. And that's the beauty of recruiting, right? Because <laughs> like, no matter what happens on the field, off the field, you've got all this potential that you're bringing in with the recruiting uh, that gives you starry eyes as you look forward. And so, yes, BK, to your point, I understand the uh, cautious pessimism, right? Because like, that that's that's Drinkwitz's calling card, right? Whether whatever's on the field, he was going to get you recruiting wins, and we weren't seeing the recruiting wins. So I I I don't think you are wrong on that assessment. But then he reels you right back in with one more signing, and this one in particular was very exciting, and 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 so we very happy to have uh, Josh Manning committed to Missouri. Missouri, please stick to that commitment, please. Um, and then it's going to be a very exciting time heading into next year and going forward. Um, but speaking of this year. And this year's roster, we had some more good news uh, for for the immediate impact. And it's it's somebody not getting drafted, which is, of course, an odd thing to say for, for a Missouri athlete. But in this case, we're talking about Sam Horn. And we have speculated uh, briefly on the site, but certainly on the podcast, about will Sam Horn go pro um, with Major League Baseball? The draft happened a couple of weeks ago. He was not picked. Now, whether that is a commitment on his, you know, his skills a commitment on you know the professional teams and what they're looking for 
his commitment to football or the school's commitment to him, like whatever you want to look at it, this is a good thing <laughs> because as we saw, Drinkwitz was very concerned that Horn would not stay on campus. And that's why he was so active in the transfer portal for quarterbacks. Uh, obviously he whiffed on about three of them and we ended up with Jack Abraham, but uh, this is this is obviously a good thing. There, there's no benefits in the Missouri football program for Sam Horn playing Major League Baseball. Um, and so Sam's on campus already. He has been since July. He's going to stay on campus uh, and be part of that quarterback race as we get through August and into September. So, uh, BK, how, how big of a sigh of relief did you let out when you heard that he was not getting drafted? So I didn't have a ton of concern that he was going to be a high draft pick just because, like, I follow some of this stuff for my day job and he was never included in top 50 rankings or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So the reality is he had, he had an opportunity to potentially make more in NIL at Mizzou than he would in a bonus by being drafted into major league baseball. And then three years from now, like if he's really awesome at either football or baseball at Mizzou, he has a chance to make even more than. So Mm -hmm. the overwhelming likelihood is his agent or whoever is, uh, advising him, if you want to call them an advisor as opposed to an agent, whatever the actual sure. technical term is for it that they're using nowadays. Um, they probably made it clear to teams, hey, this this guy's not going to sign. So I would recommend not selecting him unless you're just willing to light uh, a draft pick on fire. <laughs> That's what it would have been. So I, I wasn't uh, super concerned about it, but I mean, it's just one less thing to worry about, right? Yeah. You know that he's on campus, you know, he's going to go into fall and he's going to at least be in the conversation um, for the, who's going to start from a zoo at quarterback, mm-hmm. man. I am, I am really intrigued by this quarterback competition. I know Mizzou fans, some of them, especially here from my, our, our side of the state on the St. Louis side, get mad at me when I say this, I think it is a three player competition going into camp. Um, I do not think, unfortunately, and we've talked about this, if you guys don't know our take on the Tyler Macon situation, I I don't know what to tell you. Basically, we think he could be good. It doesn't seem like Mizzou thinks that he can be good, and that's just the reality of it. So Brady Cook, Jack Abraham, Sam Horn, I think those are the three options going into week one. If I had to place a bet right now, I think that I'm going to go back on my early word of Jack Abraham. I think I would go with Brady Cook as the opening day night, I guess, technically, starter. (laughs) Yeah. And then I am super interested, Nate, in finding out where they land on Abraham versus Horn. And I would add Mm -hmm. this. Even if Horn is listed third or fourth on the depth chart, that does not necessarily mean that he wouldn't be the second guy to get starting opportunities. Bingo. So don't worry too much about where he's listed on the depth chart. If mm-hmm. they need somebody to start and Brady Cook is not getting the job done, let's say three, four weeks into the season, I I would say that it's more likely that it ends up being Sam Horn than it is just about anybody else. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to what we've talked about the Drinkwood staff before. They are hungry for wins right now. So they are going to play the quarterback that they believe gives them the best chance to win right now. Having three options, four technically, but having three, um, gives you some room to figure out who that guy's going to be. I still think, just because I'm going to hate it, that Jack Abraham is going to take the first snap on Thursday night. Uh, I don't think he's going to have the most snaps at the end of the season. And whether that's because 
you know, Cook overtakes him or Horn overtakes him or Cook overtakes him and then Horn overtakes Cook. Like, I don't know how it happens, but I don't think Abraham is going to have the majority of quarterback snaps. I do think Cook will. I do think Horn will have the second most snaps. And if he does well in those opportunities, you know, six games in, if we're comparing and and Horn is either the same or a little better uh, than Cook, I'd say he probably is the starter going forward. Um, just because there is more, uh, there's a higher ceiling with Horn than than Cook, at least from a perception standpoint. So, I don't know. Cook's been in this system for three years now. Horn just showed up on campus in July. Uh, same for Abraham. So Cook has certainly got the knowledge advantage there, and he's got game experience. He's got you know three starts with Missouri uh, under his belt. Uh, he's thrown the most passes as a Missouri Tiger. So there's a lot of experience both from an age and a program standpoint. But Abraham's your old guy, a lot of experience, lower ceiling. Horn is your your wild card, where there's, the ceiling is unlimited at this point. But how well does he know the offense? So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, that's going to be the talk of camp, uh, certainly the talk of SEC media days, which, of course, Drinkwitz was a good head football coach and didn't ever answer that question. Uh, but it's just that's the thing, because this, this team, uh, just with any football team, tends to go as far as its quarterback can go. And so if you hitch your wagon to a Jack Abraham or a Brady Cook, you are perceiving that as a lower potential uh, but higher floor. And if you hitch it to Horn, you, that potential and that low floor. So it's going to be very exciting. Um, you say Cook. I'm going to say Thursday night starter, I'm going to say Cook because that's what I want. Uh but I'm not a betting man, so I'm not going to put any money on it. And you shouldn't either. Uh, save your money. IRAs. Go, go for that one. Um, but yeah, let's 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 keep going because I got I got something else I want to talk about. Did you watch any of SEC Media Days? Gonna be honest with you, Nate. I didn't. I went yeah, back good, through good and read and listened to the quotes. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, that alone was not worth my time. So really not. I, I was, don't uh, feel like I missed, or if you are a listener right now and you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I didn't actually really see much from that either. You didn't miss anything. You didn't miss anything, which is a little bit different than what we're used to, at least in the last year. Now, last year, Drinkwitch showed up at Media Days. It was kind of his, uh, his coming out party because there were no Media Days in 2020. So he got to grab a mic and, and talk trash, uh, throw some zeners out, hit some one-liners, you know, make it, make a an impact with the personality he didn't do that this year and i am going to read that as a positive i want to spend everything as positive as i can right now because i'm such a negative person um bk do you remember uh a guy football coach named steve spurrier do you remember heard of him yeah yeah florida's head coach one of national titles south carolina's coach steve spurrier has just a beautiful natural ability to talk the most beautiful trash about every program, every coach in the SEC. He has, he is just, that is his talent. He is not, he is a better trash talker than he is a football coach. He's a pretty dang good football coach. Um, Steve Spurrier, when he, (laughs) when he had a good team, he, he talked a lot when he had an okay team. He talked more. <laughs> he tried to cover up the fact that his team wasn't going to be very good by hitting some zeners, some one-liners, and, and kind of getting in people's faces about stuff. I'm going to choose to believe that Drinkwitz is the same way. 
He was a little campy, a little out there, a little, a little too personality last year when he didn't think his team was going to be all that great. And this year he was straight business. You know, he had some good, good, good answers, but he was not pulling on the, on the personality. He was not pulling on the, on the drink uh, charm, if you will. So man, I'm going to choose to believe that, that he thinks he's got a better team now. Uh, am I crazy to believe that? No, I think that's fair. I think that's a totally reasonable opinion to have on it. Um, I also think, though, that it might be something where he he said to himself afterwards, and this is just another theory on it. Um, man, I wrote a lot of checks that my my team couldn't cash. And so <laughs> sure. this year he's looking at it and he's saying to himself, I would rather under promise and over deliver. And I think that's typically the right way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um I think that by making noise as the coach, sometimes you put even more pressure on your team and it just depends on how you're going about it. Right. So like, for example, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 27th. Eli Drinkwitz was on Jim Rome's show today and (laughs) he threw some grenades to Tennessee. (laughs) Basically calling them out for all of these infractions that they have now been alleged to have um, done over the last few years. That's fine. Like, that stuff's fun. And I've got no issues with it. I mean, you saw what happened with Alabama, Texas A&M, them going back and forth with one another. Like, that stuff's just fun. That's college football, right? That's been in the game for years. That's just part of it. It, Everybody's accusing everybody of cheating. That's the only reason why they're better than us, because they're cheating, right? Like, that's (laughs) the way that this sport works. Heck yeah. But when you're saying stuff, especially at an SEC media days, it catches more attention. It catches more heat than if you do it on Jim Rome show where it's kind of like a laid back fun environment and he's kind of egging you on about it. It's just a different situation. So I think drink is learning now what the correct forums are to say the outlandish things that he wants and is interested in saying. Um, so I think that's where I'm at on it. It's just like he learned an important lesson from last year about when you can and when you shouldn't go about doing the things that he does. Yeah. As a reminder, one of the the barbs from last year, uh, from 21, uh, someone asked him what he thought about the Arkansas rivalry. And he said, well, I, I like it exactly where it is five in a row. Right. And you turn around and lose. Right. So that's, that's, that's the problem. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's apocryphal or an excuse or what, but I think he said his dad told him to stop talking so much too. So like, you know, whatever. Uh, point is that, SEC media days were very boring, and I, I kind of like that. Uh, they took Barrett Bannister, they took Isaiah McGuire, and they took Martez Manuel. I know someone, I think it was Kentucky fans, were trying to start something about Martez saying that he hated losing to them and they were getting all up in arms about it. That's just, that's just noise. It was very safe answers. They were very controlled. Barrett Bannister had some really interesting things to say, especially since he was nominated for the Burlesworth Trophy, which is awarded to the nation's best, uh, most outstanding walk-on player, or a player who started off as a walk-on. Um, so he had some really interesting answers about that, talking about growing up in Arkansas, wanting to be in the SEC, didn't think he was ever going to have a chance, getting the chance at Mizzou. Martez Manuel talked about uh, Columbia and being from there and playing for the hometown school. Like, there's some really good just safe answers because that's who you take. You take the safest, but it wasn't interesting. <laughs> like you got little snippets here or there, which were okay. But like it's four hours of them giving the same answer to the same question over and over again. And sometimes you get a little nugget here or there, but I would prefer it be boring 
because then you're not playing, you know, damage control on the, on the internet for, for yeah. some made up crisis and some perceived this, you know, per, perceived uh, slight that you've thrown at another team. So I, I was cool with this, and uh, frankly, I hope it's it's that way going forward too. I think we're on the same page on this for sure. Yeah, for sure. There was some interesting stuff that came out of it, though. Like I said, it wasn't completely devoid of information. Um, I think the biggest one was the injury updates for the roster. Um, let me pull them up. Okay, so he said, Trinkwood said that Hiram White and Daniel Robledo, uh, as a reminder, White starting right tackle, Robledo, rotational defensive tackle, are going to miss camp plus the first few weeks of the season. What does that mean? Well, few is two. Who knows how much longer that goes. He also said Kai Montgomery had surgery again in the offseason, and he will miss the first couple of weeks of camp. And then, of course, Marcus Scott is recovering from an injury from last year, but is expected to be cleared for camp. I have not heard, read anything about that, so that's where we stand at this point. Um, BK, <laughs> let's start with the first two. As far as Hiron White and Daniel Robledo, for Robledo, it sucks that he's going to miss camp in the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, from a team standpoint, he was going to be a depth piece, so it hurts as far as rotation, but there's you're hoping that a lot of young, younger upside guys will be playing ahead of him anyway, so we hope he heals up and hopes he can get back soon. It's going to be the higher and white question. Right? Yeah. It's We've been asking it since spring. Is he going to come back and play? Is he not? The roster moves, acquiring Makai Lee, what you saw in spring as far as guys rotating at the tackle position, it seems that Drinkwitz is planning on him not playing, and this news doesn't really assuage that fear at all. I think you right now have four options to start at tackle this year. Foster, Powell, Lee, Wood. I think those are your four, depending on how things work out in the interior. Like, I, I think they're going to... This is a year where, A, I think it's really important to note they have developed much more depth along the offensive line. The offensive mm-hmm. and defensive lines are as deep as they have been in four years-ish, something like yeah. that. Like yeah. this, I don't know about top-end talent, but at least depth-wise, you have more guys that I think are SEC-caliber players than you've had in quite a while. So Foster, Powell, Lee, Wood, I think are your four options at tackle. Along the interior, I think you have five guys that could factor into that. So you've got a total of eight players that I think are legitimate starting options for you. Along the interior, it's Delgado, Polgar, Wood, Griffin, and Tolleson. Mm-hmm. Those are the guys that I would factor into that mix right now. So out of those eight players, I think your top five will end up starting. I don't know enough about Lee to tell you like with any sort of honesty if he is ready to start in an SEC level right now, I would be lying to you if I said that I do. So can he be a starter? Maybe he might even be the favorite right now to start at left or right tackle. One of those two spots. I just don't know because we haven't seen him play. Um, But I think Connor Wood can do it if asked to do so. Tolleson, we know they were really high on and it's possible he ends up starting at center and that allows some things to happen in the interior that otherwise, or maybe he starts at guard. You have pole guard center, wood kicks out to right tackle, and you've got Foster at left tackle. There's a mm-hmm. bunch of different configurations as to how they could go about this. I think it's all just a matter of them figuring out in camp. I don't think they could honestly tell you right now who their starting <laughs> five is going to be. Yeah. I think it's all a matter of them finding out at camp who is our best five, and then they go into the season with that group. 
I mean, keep in mind, the last freshman to start on the offensive line, true freshman, uh, was Evan Bame. And while he played center for three years, he started as a guard. Mm-hmm. Get his reps in and get that experience there. If you told me that they popped Tolleson into, say, the right guard position and slotted Wood out on the tackle, I'd believe it. I believe it. That's that's a move that makes a lot of sense. It keeps your experienced piece and pole guard in the center who's calling protections and kind of quarterbacking the line. It gets that experience for Tolleson, the guy that you want to be the center going forward, uh, and it get, answers the need, right? When we need a right tackle, Connor Wood can be that guy. Um, is Wood a better tackle than uh, Lee? I mean, maybe, I don't know. Uh, it's just kind of, you don't know. Keep in mind, you know, another three names that I want to mention here, and I don't think they are the top BK. So I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with your list. I'm saying you could see these three work their way in. Yeah. I would say number one, EJ and Doma Ogar, who had a great series against South Carolina, a couple series against South Carolina last year. You're also looking at Dylan Spencer, who, by the way, started a couple games. He started one game, played in five for Missouri in 2020. Very different offensive line configuration different at that point line. in time. <laughs> yes, very, very different. I understand that. I'm he was wrong. reportedly working in with the twos, though. I probably should have mentioned him. I, I would put him above even EJ and Dovogar at this point. Yes, uh, it'd be really interesting to see how the staff favors those two. The yeah. other one, and I'm not saying this is going to happen. But Armand Mimbu is already an SEC guard size. Now, yeah. a lot of that's probably bad baby weight that they need to cut and reshape and remold. But he is currently 6'3", 316, and you haven't heard a lot, but what you've heard, they've been very impressed with how he works. So I don't think either of those three are going to steal starter-level snaps. I'm not even sure if they're going to crack an eight-man rotation, but if you're looking for some newer faces, some younger pieces to crack in there, possibly fill in a slot, possibly get weird and push someone out, like I would look to those three as possibly making some moves there. Yeah, I I, I think that's one of the areas. It, there is recently not been very many like legitimate position battles. For Mizzou, mm-hmm. like recent years, it's been kind of set, you know, going into camp. OK, these are the guys that are going to get the majority of the playing time and we'll just see how good they are. Right. Mm-hmm. This year is a little different. Like, I do think there are real position battles, a on the offensive line, as we've just been mentioning um, at wide receiver, not necessarily for the starting positions, but like who's going to get the reps, I think is going to be really interesting to find out how that thing sorts itself out. Behind Nathaniel Pete and Elijah Young, who fits into the running back position. Obviously, we've talked ad nauseum all offseason about quarterback. And then you go to the defense like, man, all over the place. It's kind of <laughs> wide open right now. Yeah. Who's going to play at corner other than Chris Abrams, Strain and Enos Rakestraw? Who's going to get the majority of the reps along the defensive line? And how does that rotation end up working itself out like this is? This is nothing if not an interesting team. They are more interesting this year, in my opinion, than they have been in the last two or three years, even if they don't end up being better. They're just more compelling (laughs) going into camp. That is one of the benefits of an active transfer portal. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Like, you really don't know what's going to happen. I'm not saying traditionally, like, from, you know, 2000 to 2000. Uh, 17, you just knew who was going to move up and, and all that stuff. Obviously, freshman made moves. Juco players can make an impact. Like I'm not saying it was more predictable, but it is really unpredictable when you bring in 16 new people, <laughs> all of which can have you know played multiple seasons at 
a college football level, uh, power five programs, like it, it makes it really difficult to project and really interesting to kind of figure out what's going, who's going to do what and where. Um, and really, I mean, that's the challenge for the coaches. That's why you have these fall camps. They're like, I'm not sure they even know what they mm-hmm. have at this point. Um, so it's going to be a lot of guesswork, a lot of patchwork, got to just mix and match, see what works. see who can get along with the others. And, um, I will agree. It's very interesting. The roster management piece of college football, I've always found fascinating, but way more interesting when you have such an influx, well, exit and influx of talent. Um, and just a lot of young talent that who should be maturing and seeing the field. Like I, it, the question is kind of like which of the transfers play and then which of the blue chips finally crack the rotation. That's kind of the, that's really the big stories coming out of August. Probably the two biggest. And then of course, just like quarterback is always going to be the headliner, right? Because yeah. of the outsized importance of what that position means to this roster. And also just like, I guess it's happened more often recently for Mizzou, but there was like a 12 year period where Mizzou didn't have a legitimate quarterback competition going into camp. And then now mm-hmm. it's been like three of the last five years or something like that, where you've had a real competition going into camp. And I think that says a lot about where the program is, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's always going to be the headliner. Yeah. The other headliner, uh, this happened a couple days ago is Harrison Mavis, our, our, our dearly beloved thicker kicker, uh, officially on the Lou Groza watch list. That is, Hell the yeah. award, that is the award handed out at the end of the year for the best place kicker in college football. Of course he was going to be on the watch list. My God, there's 120 guys on the watch list. Um, I mean, Harrison like Mavis think, is one of the best football players on this team. Full stop. Absolutely. Yes. If we had a team-specific cover for NCAA 23, he would be on it. Well, come on, Luther Burton. No, it would be Harrison Mavis eating a thicker burger with his gut hanging out and kick nailing a 60-yarder without even thinking. In, in all it. seriousness, like if you were doing like an overall rating from NCAA, right? How many guys on the team do you think would be higher rated at their respective position than Harrison Mavis would be as a kicker? None on this team. On this team, Burden would be very close. He'd probably be like an 84, 85, and then Mevis would probably be a 91 or a 92, if I had to guess. Or do you, I think Hopper might be up there. Um, I'm also just like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Horse Camp's 99, so I guess no one's really unseen. Good point. Him. Yeah, 100. percent Yeah, um, yeah. That that's a really good point that you make there, sir. <laughs> But other than that, uh, yeah, I think I think Mavis would be in ninety, probably in ninety two. Man, Harrison Mavis is Hopper. an NFL kicker. Like that's that he's really legitimately well, an outstanding football player. Don't ask the Lou Groza the the Lou Groza committee because they certainly don't think so. Um, I mean, they gave it to a guy who missed multiple kicks, multiple kicks from under forty yards. Oh, so, well, you know. can't relate. Certainly not my thicker kicker. Harrison Mavis has missed one kick under 40 yards in his two seasons at Mizzou. In his entire life. And he is 69 for 69, which is very nice on extra points. Nice. Yeah, very proud of him. Yeah, Yeah, man. His long last year was 56 yards, and the year before was 52 as a freshman. I'm sorry. Like, I know we're geeking out right now over a bleeping kicker, but come on. If you can't appreciate Harrison Mavis, who's listed at 5'11", 260... She's just one of the best kickers in college football. I don't know what to tell you, man. He's just just a delight. 
69 for 69 extra points, 21 of 22 on field goals under 40, 19 of 23 for field goals over 40. When his foot hits the football, it gets you points 95.6% of the time. That's insanity. I don't I don't even think the Wolf Jeff Who is Wolford the best did that. free throw shooter ever. Free throw shooter? Yeah. Uh I don't know, man. I'd assume oh. Steph Curry's pretty the, dang the good. Reason, so Steph Curry, good, good example. He makes 91% of his free throws. <laughs> Harrison Mevis, <laughs> just to put this in context, <laughs> is as good at kicking the football, better in fact, yeah. at kicking the football through the uprights from any distance on any average distance. Yeah. than Steph Curry is at making a free throw when nobody is defending him. Steph Curry, by the way, is the greatest shooter in the history of basketball. Like That is how good Harrison Mevis is at his job, to put it in context. Oh, my God. Yeah, Steph Curry gonna... makes 91% of his free throws. Steve my Nash God. was 90%. Rick Barry was wow. at right at 90%. Peja Stoyakovich, one of my personal favorites growing up, was at 89%. And Ray Allen was right at the same percentage as well. So all of those guys that I just mentioned, worse at their job than Harrison Mevis is at his. Was Rick Barry the guy who did the granny style free throws? That is indeed correct. Damn, yes. Yeah, 90% free throw shooter, the fourth Good greatest percentage in the history of the sport. Way to go, Rick. Man. Well, I mean, the unfortunate thing for Harrison is that he plays for Missouri, which the committee does not pay attention to. So it's going to go to Alabama or, or, you know, I don't know, probably Alabama's kicker, maybe Ohio State's. Um, yeah, somebody that scores a bunch of points. Mavis is going to have a better paycheck in the NFL. I feel pretty right. confident about that. Uh, any other notes? Oh, one last thing. Uh, <laughs> Eli Drinkwitz went on to uh, that SEC podcast uh, with a friend of the show, Mike Bratton. Cousin Shane asked him, uh, well, told him that he lives in a house full of women, which breaking news. Yes. He has four daughters and a wife. Uh, but Shane asked him, you know, Hey, when you gotta, when you gotta escape the craziness of all the ladies in your house, what do you do? Where do you go? What do you do? And in my mind, I'm going, he recruits. <laughs> he's not at home. He's, he's sleeping in the office. And he's recruiting nonstop. But what Eli said was that he goes into his basement, pulls out his guitar and learn and teaches himself songs on the guitar, which BK. I'm not saying he like, reached out and said that he does like crocheting but i did not anticipate eli drinkwitz uh shredding the old guitar in his free time number one i didn't think he had free time number two does not strike me as a guitar guy uh thoughts just i don't even know where to go with this thoughts do you think he's good no no okay. i don't i hope i'm wrong but i i don't think he's good so I just searched this on on Twitter. Um, there's basically no mention of Eli Drinkwitz with a guitar at any point. He's never posted a video or anything. But there is a piece from a writer from his time at Appalachian State in which he mentioned, Drinkwitz did, that he keeps a guitar in his office just in case one of Luke Combs or Eric Church stop by so that way they can sign it. Do do you believe that Eli Drinkwitz plays guitar? No, I don't. I think he holds it while listening to Eric Church. 
Okay. And maybe does like stands in the mirror and goes, you know, you do a little air guitar, except you're a multimillionaire like Drinkwood, so you can just buy one to screw around with. I think he probably does that. Okay. Yeah. Um, that sounds right to me. Uh, I, I will I, say I, this, Eli, I know you don't listen, but if you do, standing invitation to come over to Shea Edwards for a little jam sesh, right? I'll pull out the keyboards. We'll put on some Eric Church. You bring, you bring the, you bring the axe. Okay, we'll lay down some tracks. Standing, standing offer. Anytime, anywhere, as long as the kids are awake, you can come over and do that. Because uh, I want to hear him play. I will say this: I respect the fact that Eli Drinkwitz can seemingly play to any audience, like Luke yeah. Combs, Eric Church. That's what one audience he can play to with the guitar. Uh, he wears Jordans to seemingly every significant event in which anybody between the ages of 16 and 25 would see him. Um, He's happy to dress up when he goes to certain events by wearing, you know, your classic suit. Um, He, he has the whole nerdy glasses and comb over thing going for him. Like Eli Drinkwitz can fit into any conversation at any event in which he is there. And that is part of what makes him such a great recruiter. So mm-hmm. I do respect that about the man. I would be very curious to find out just how good he is on the guitar. And I'm not necessarily doubting him. Listen, I can't play the guitar. I've never attempted to play the guitar. I have zero musical inclination in my body. I'm incompetent when it comes to music in general. I got no rhythm, which may come as a surprise to you, Nate. <laughs> I I just also think that I can see when other people maybe have that same inclination. And I I suspect <laughs> that may be the case in this scenario. Yeah. Standing standing invitation, man. I don't know. Come on over. We'll jam. Um I I would be blown away if he showed up and he was like really good that would make me so happy just same time it's like wh- when were you doing this <laughs> when in your career as a college football coach who works you know eighty thousand hours a week were you were you playing guitar but you know whatever maybe he knows wonderwall i bet he knows wonderwall <gasps> i bet he knows wonderwall anyway um on that stupid note bk any closing thoughts i don't think so man uh i'm excited about the fact that we are going to have like real tangible mm. football news in the not too distant future that's going to be really nice to be able to actually react to news as opposed to just uh, attempting to find <laughs> news um so that'll be cool and man we are not that far away from the football season as you mentioned oh in our open now we're it, it's it's almost here so that's awesome and i'm super excited about it but i think that's all i've got for today buddy yeah that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. C-O-U.